0: All right, all right, well, let's welcome the online audience, those that are watching now and those that will watching in the future. We welcome them. Thanks for tuning in. Excited that you're here. But I'm pumped to be in the house of the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be able to stand here with you guys and just dive into the word, be able to worship together as a, as a body of believers. It is, um, it's awesome. It's awesome. And to be quite honest with you, if I could be frank, I feel like this week I really needed it. Not that I didn't—I don't need it normally, but this week in particular has been a has been a tough one. Obviously, with what's going on conflict-wise in the world, I mean, I'll I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I have—I'm—I'm uh, I'm not proud of it, but I feel like in this particular instance, I have a tendency to be very much uh, uh, do as I say, not as I do kind of person. And what I mean by that is. A lot of times, I'm the kind of person that says, like, "Look, you got to get off of social media. You got to get off of the news. Like, you got to give your mind uh, a breather from all of that because it can affect you." I have this conversation all the time, you know, with people saying, "Just like, hey, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta withdraw, man. You gotta pull away because if not, it'll it'll get you riled up." And this week, I was really bad at that. This week, I was really, really bad at that. I was, I've been, uh, I feel like I've been absorbed with this conflict that's happening in the Middle East because of the horrors of it, to be honest with you. And so it's been like, uh, you know, I hate to use this analogy, but it's very much like a car accident when you're driving on 95 and you see an accident and it's terrible, but you can't look away. Like, it's like you, you just, you want to see. And so I I feel as though this entire week has been that way and uh, I've been, I've been, I've, I've had angst and, and, and worries about what, what's going to happen. Where, what is this all going to lead to? And, you know, it's in situations like that where you kind of have to snap yourself and smack, your side up, smack yourself upside the head and say, Hey, relax, because at the end of the day, despite the horrors that we see, we have a God who's in control. Amen. And everything that we see may catch us by surprise, but it doesn't catch him by surprise. God is not sitting in heaven saying, Oh, man. Yikes. All right, uh, guys, we're scrambling. That's not happening right now. If anybody's calm, cool, and collected here, it's our Lord and Savior. He knows the beginning from the end. And he's not caught by surprise in this entire instance. And I think it's difficult. It's, it's one of those, those things that it's like harder, you know, uh, it, it's easier said than done. But I have to believe that God has a plan and a purpose in this entire thing. If I believe that he is sovereign and he knows the beginning from the end, then I have to believe by extension that there is this fits into the program. I just don't know how. I don't know how it's gonna play out. I mean, granted, there are talks of this in in his word. But we have to be able to rest in the fact that God has got this in some way, shape, or form, his hand is over the situation and it might get uglier. It's likely to get to get uglier, honestly. But our God is still in control. Our God is still in control. Amen? You got your Bibles with you? Amen. Go with me to the book of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9, beginning in, the ver- in verse number 14. <clears throat> We're on a series entitled, When in Doubt, when in doubt. And so I'm looking forward to, um, to bringing this word. I had a conversation with a, a coworker of mine on Friday. He's like, hey, man, you got plans for the weekend? I was like, yeah, I'm preaching at church. He's like, no way. I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> he's like, what are you preaching about? And I was like, well, I was like, here's the message series. And I read him the, the, the summary of the message series. And he's like, man, people got to hear that word. And I was like, I know. I, I agree. He's like, that's awesome, man. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse number 14, says the following. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Verse 17 says, someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, this is Jesus speaking, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. I entitled my message this morning, Tip the Scale. Tip the Scale. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to come and gather together, Lord, and be able to freely dive into your word and discuss it, apply it to our lives, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that you soften our hearts and open our minds to be able to receive what you have for us this morning, Lord. I pray that you help me communicate this message in the same way that you gave it to me, Father. We ask that we leave differently than how we walked in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So I decided, for the sake of creating a bit of a launch pad uh, for myself for this message, I, I decided I would define the word doubt. When in doubt. So let's define the word doubt. Uh, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the most common definition is to call into question the truth of, a lack of confidence or trust. If you keep reading, there's two definitions that I found um, particularly interesting, and they are to consider unlikely or an inclination not to believe, an inclination not to believe. Doubt is different than questioning, you know? Uh, questioning means openness i you know you, you haven't decided yet you you you're in the process of figuring it out but you're not convinced one way or the other you're agnostic you're yeah maybe there is maybe there isn't i'm here and i'm i'm receiving information and i'm still kind of making a making a judgment i'm 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 putting together a summary that's that's questioning it's open it's 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 uh, you know you're you're willing to receive and hear and and debate and and figure it out doubting on the other hand doubting means that the scales The scales aren't necessarily balanced. They may not be entirely leaning one way, but they're mostly leaning one way. There may be a little bit of give, but it's not a ton of give. You're kind of already, eh, I'm doubting it. So I'm kind of already leaning on one side. I'll give you an example. If somebody were to say, you know, hey, Theo, I think this year, this year the Dolphins make it to the Super Bowl. And my uncle looks at me and goes, buddy, I appreciate that, but I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Different, right? He's not making a definitive statement. There's a chance, maybe, I don't know, in some universe, in some world, maybe they pull it off, right? But based upon what he's seen, based upon the last few years, you know, it's not a no. But if I were a betting man, probably probably wouldn't put money on it. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. I could be wrong, though. Doubt is an inclination not to believe. So our series is when in doubt. In other words, when I'm inclined not to believe. Now, where does that inclination come from? And that inclination often comes at the evidence that's at hand, what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling in the moment. That's typically what is tipping the scales. People struggle with the idea of a good God because they see so much evil in the world. I saw this debate happening on social media just this last week. You know, people doubt the existence that there is a good God seated in heaven because they are seeing such rampant depravity and evil in the world. Like I told you in the beginning, I I spent way too much time. I am admit, I'm, I'm admitting that to you. I spent way too much time looking at this to the point where Brianna was like, "Babe, get your head out. Like you need a breather because it was like, man, babe, I don't know. It's crazy. And now this, now these people are saying this. And I got a buddy of mine whose whose mom lives in Tel Aviv. She's in Tel Aviv right now. And so you know every you know. Every hour, so hey, buddy, have you heard from your mom? What, what are they saying, man? No, nah, nothing. You know, I was like, anything going on in the north? I mean, I know that they got, you know, there's there's the 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 the, the threat of you know another terrorist group getting involved, and if that happens, and I mean, they're fighting a, they're fighting in the south, they're fighting in the north, or you know, what if what if they're spread too thin? I just I was I was too much into it, you know. And then apart from that, you know, there there is there's videos and there's pictures that have gone out. And I don't know if any of you have seen them, but they're they're horrifying. I mean just absolutely horrifying and it's shocking to think that you know what we're living in 2023 and this level of just rampant depravity and evil is in this world I mean just just unabashed evil, without a care in the world, and you're seeing it play out in real time, and you're looking at it, and you're like, this looks like it's a movie or something, and it's not. There are real people losing lives, and, and, and then we throw in the mix of that, yeah, but God is a good God, and to the average person, they say, yeah, he is. How? Look at the evidence. I don't fault a person, if I could be frank with you. I don't fault a person for coming to me and saying, you know what? I have my doubts. I get it. I get it because what we see, what we're experiencing, what we feel, what we're surrounded by can very easily lead to somebody to believe. could lead somebody to be in a position of doubt. The scales are unbalanced. Now there's a lot that we can learn from the father with the demon-possessed son in Mark chapter 9. But I think the first thing that we should grasp here is the desperation of the father. His son was dealing with a ravenous demonic spirit. Verse 17 says, and one person from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. Verse 21, if you skip ahead a little bit, it says, and he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So we don't know the age here, but clearly it's been some time. He's been battling this thing for a while. From childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. So since his son was a mere child, he was dealing with a spirit that at the drop of a a hat would have him convulsing. It would have him gnashing his teeth and often trying to kill him. Imagine the desperation of that father. Now, I, I get riled up when I see my kids sick. I do when I when when Judah or Addy have a fever or they're, you know, and they're sluggish and they're not their energetic selves. And I could see that they're like, you know, they're they're they're, they're, they're their body's fighting something. I mean, I get I get anxious because I want to see them better. I, I, I hate to see them feeling unwell. So I can only imagine can only imagine a father with a father's love for his son. And yet his son is battling a demonic spirit that at the drop of a hat has him convulsing. Has a convulsing. I can only imagine that he spent years looking for an answer and, and some reprieve only to be let down time and time again, continuing to see the manifestations of this demon that has taken a hold of his son. I can only imagine his desperation to just see his son delivered. Desperate. Desperate. Desperate and perhaps doubting, doubting whether or not he'd actually see it. Doubting whether his son would ever live a normal life, not having to battle what he's battling. I can only imagine. And yet, and yet, he once again showed up. He once again showed up, and he sought help. The father had not yet admitted his doubts. Right? In that passage of scripture in the beginning, when he, when he talks about the fact that he you know, has a son and he had gone to the disciples or whatever, he had not yet admitted his, his doubts. Uh, and is, it's, it's, unlike, it's unlikely that his doubts began the moment that he was engaging with Jesus. It's unlikely. So we could probably believe that this father was dealing with this, wrestling with this for, for some time now. And yet, he still sought out Jesus. He initially went to the disciples and they, and they let him down, like everyone else had. And then after that, he went to Jesus. Church, I think there is something to be said about showing up. I, I think there's something to be said about showing up when in doubt. There's something to be said about seeing the scales leaning heavily in one direction and still making the decision to believe, to remain faithful, to continue praising, to continue declaring, to continue reaching out for that miracle. There is something to be said about in the midst of all of this opposition and everything that I'm seeing and experiencing, I'm still, I'm still going to press forward. We see this in Luke chapter 8 verses 43 to, 43 to 48. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. And a woman who had suffered a chronic flow of blood for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had left me. Now when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she became trembling. She came trembling and fell down before him and admitted in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him, and now she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Twelve years this woman was dealing with this. Over a decade, this woman was dealing with an affliction And she still had the gall. Twelve years she's been battling this. Twelve years she's been seeking answers. Twelve years she was going to doctors, to anybody that could lend some help, let down again, again, and again. And she had the gall to press through the crowd and touch Jesus because maybe just touching him, maybe just touching this Jesus of Nazareth, maybe, maybe that will bring her healing couldn't be held, couldn't be healed by anyone, the scriptures say. There is no chance in this world that that woman didn't not have doubts. There's no chance. If you're fighting fighting something for 12 years and you have found no, no solution, how do you not doubt? How do you not have reason to believe that, you know what, I may never see my healing. I might just die with this affliction. This is is my life now. This is who I am. And yet, she tried again. And this time, this time she found healing. The father in Mark 9 had seen his son afflicted his entire childhood, and yet there he was, with doubts, with unbelief, but present in the crowd. Church, I entitled my message, Tip the Scale, because we often need to be the ones to push down on the other side when everything we see and everything that we're experiencing and everything that we're hearing is like an anvil weighing us down, keeping us in doubt. Sometimes we need to be the ones that have the fortitude to push down on the opposite side. Sometimes we need to be the ones to say, I will not drown in my doubts. But despite how I'm feeling, I'm still going to show up. Still going to pray. Still going to read my word. Still going to declare in faith. Still going to show up to service. I'm still going to show up. I'm going to be the one to tip the scale the other way. I wanted to speak for a moment about our brother Stan. Our brother Stan was praying for a hot minute for... breakthrough in his job. He's praying for a while for a breakthrough in his job. There was many men's groups where he was praying for a breakthrough in his job. Is that right Theo Stan? Like Like a year. Now I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know the full details of the of the position. But I know that he received a breakthrough. And I know that Theo Stan continued to show up. And he continued to push forward. And he continued to pray, and he continued to believe, and he continued to praise, and he continued to praise. And then finally, 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 something broke. And I can't stand here before you and tell you why God had him wait for that long. I have no answers for that. But what I do know is because I experienced it, and I saw it. I saw Theo Stan show up. He showed up. Despite the doubt, despite the moments that I'm sure where he was like, God, where are you in this situation? Despite the fact that he applied and he wasn't getting callbacks, despite the fact that he had an anvil of weight on one side, Theo Stan decided to push down on the other side and said, no, I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to show up, and I'm still going to believe, and I'm still going to praise, and I'm still going to worship. And in doing so, He saw a breakthrough. He saw a breakthrough. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, and one person from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son because he had a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams into the ground. And he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I pull up with you, put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. He asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, If you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now I want to stop here for a moment. I want to stop here for a moment. Verse 20 says, and they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. In other words, the moment that the demon laid eyes on Jesus, he began to react. The moment the father brought his son over, and that demon gazed upon Jesus, he began to react, the boy began to manifest. I'll put it to you differently. The minute this father got in the presence of Jesus, the minute he got into close proximity, the source of his doubts, the very thing that inclined him not to believe, the very thing that inclined him to believe that his son may not find deliverance began to manifest. So church, when in doubt, seek his presence. Seek his presence. Because no demon in hell can withstand the mere presence of Jesus. And doubt is often a spiritual battle. It's not merely a mental battle. For example, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. So if, if God is not responsible for placing fear into our minds and our hearts, then who is? In the same way that the enemy wants to keep us in fear, he wants to keep us doubting as well. But fear and doubt tremble in the presence of God. When in doubt, when we're in doubt, when we are inclined not to believe, we often retract. We pull back, we isolate ourselves, we get into our heads. We're like a crock pot cooking on low. And we'll do this day after day, and our faith withers more and more. The scales are leaning, and we allow them to. And what happens is that the doubt suffocates us. It suffocates us. We need to tip the scales. And how do we tip the scales? We continue to show up. But we show up with purpose. We show up with purpose, and that purpose is to get into the presence of God. So when you pray, you pray expecting to hear a word from God. When you come to service, you come so expecting to enter into the presence of God. When I read my word, I do so expecting to hear a word from God. You get into his presence because when you show up and when you get into his presence, the enemy begins to quake and tremble and manifest and doubts begin to dissipate. The woman with the issue of blood didn't just show up. No, she showed up and she moved through the crowd to get to Jesus. The father didn't just arrive. No, he arrived and then first he sought help from the disciples and then when they let him down, then he went over to Jesus. He didn't just show up. No, you show up and then you get into his presence. Get into his presence. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth, and he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd, was, immediate, was, gathering, was rapidly gathering. He rebuked the unclean spirit to, uh, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. The father's boy says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds with, If, if, this isn't a question of if. Church, there is grace when we approach Jesus with our doubts, there's grace. But it doesn't go undisciplined. Jesus speaks harshly against unbelief. Like a child uh, that makes a mistake, we help correct this mistake, but we deal with what, what led to it in the first place, right? And verse 19 says, "And he answered them, and he said, "O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me." Jesus speaks harshly against unbelief. When Thomas, for example, doubted that Jesus resurrected, right? Jesus appears to Thomas and deals with, deals with his doubts. He comes to him and he says, "Look, touch. Put your fingers in the holes. Feel the wound. But then what does he tell Thomas? He doesn't coddle Thomas. Grant, he deals with the doubts, yes, but he doesn't coddle him. What he tells him is like, look, you believe now because you saw me. But blessed are those that believe without seeing. Jesus says that anything is possible to him who believes. And the father responds with, I believe, please help my unbelief. I think that this line beautifully captures our walk with Jesus the dilemma that we often face. Belief and unbelief. And I love it that the Lord felt it necessary for this account to be included in the biblical narrative. I love it that he kept it in there because church, when in doubt, you show up, you get into his presence, and you admit the doubt. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. I believe, I believe, Lord. I do, I believe, but please, please help my unbelief. The fact is that the father did believe. It's true he did believe because he was there. He was present. He had shown up once again. He sought help from the disciples. And when that fell, when that failed, he went in and he sought help from Jesus. And yet he still had reservations. So there was belief present and there was unbelief that was present as well. And still with his reservations, and still with his doubts, he brought it to Jesus anyway. We fail to admit, we fail to admit our doubts to the Lord as though, as though he isn't already aware of them. We, 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 we fail to say anything. I don't, know, I don't know if it's embarrassment. I don't know if it's fear that God is going to strike us down with a bolt of lightning. But the fact of the matter is, is that he knows the condition of our heart. He knows what's going on in our mind. He is aware of those doubts already. So our faith dies, this seemingly lonesome faith, when the entire time the Lord knows our doubts and he's prepared to deal with them. Now I'm gonna say something, I'm gonna say something else. I think that we ought to be courageous enough, bold enough, not only to confess our doubts to Jesus, to take them to the Lord, to bring them to our heavenly Father, but I believe that we ought to be bold enough to confess our doubts to our own fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. To our own brothers and sisters in Christ, it boils my blood. It boils my blood to hear that some people left the faith or leave the faith because of questions that have been asked for generations. I mean, it really, it is unsettling to me when I see that. People leaving, people leaving the faith. I remember there was one, there was one Christian artist that I used to listen to for years. And then they came out with this long you know, chapter book of an Instagram post about how they're leaving the faith and the reason that they're leaving the faith is because, you know, there was things in the Old Testament that they just, you know, they couldn't wrap their minds around. And it was like, really, Christopher Columbus, bro? What you think you're the first one to discover? Challenging passages in the Old Testament, really? You think you're the first one to ask those difficult questions? You're not. But we are fearful of of, of bringing out these doubts and saying, you know what? I have, I, I wrestle with this passage. I wrestle with the scripture. Why did God make it happen this way? Why did God do this? And we and we die this lonesome death. When God has equipped us, he's surrounded us by brothers and sisters in Christ who have likely had the same questions at one point in their life. And so church, I say when in doubt, admit the doubt to the Lord, take it to the Lord, but be willing to call up a brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, look, hear me out for a second. I have some questions here. I have some things that I'm wrestling. Tip the scale. Continue to show up. Continue to get into his presence and admit the doubt. Admit the doubt. And maybe, maybe Jesus will deal with that doubt himself. Or maybe he'll use someone else to speak a word into your life that will deal with that doubt. All the while bolstering the faith of the person that helped you. Because maybe the person that helped you had doubts as to whether or not they could deliver a message to encourage somebody's faith. So God used this doubt to help out this doubt. All the while God is just playing chess over here. And we're stupefied because we're unwilling to bring it to him. And God is saying, I want to move. Just bring it to me. I want you to bring it to me. I want you to continue to show up. I want you to continue to get into my presence. I want you to continue to bring me your fears. Continue to bring me your questions. Continue to bring me your doubts because I want to move in your life. I want to be able to clear those up and just know that I might use some other people to do it as well. His ways are higher than our ways. And God uses the saints, man. He uses the congregation that is around you. When in doubt, church, when you are inclined not to believe, I implore you to continue to show up. When you're inclined to say, God, how can you be good? I implore you to continue to read your word. Continue to praise him. Continue to say, God, you must have a plan and a purpose here because I am merely your creation. I am not the creator. Who am I to think that I need to understand the ins and outs of the mind of the creator? When you're inclined not to believe, show up, get into his presence, and unearth the doubts, and allow him to move. Stand with me this morning. It's true that Jesus dealt harshly with unbelief. It's true. But it's not as though he didn't extend grace, though. He dealt with Thomas, but he still dealt with Thomas's doubt. Peter doubted for a moment when he was on that boat. But yet he still stepped out of the water and walked to the Lord. Abraham doubted. Moses doubted. Jeremiah doubted. Gideon doubted, Sarah doubted, I keep going if you want me to, all of them, they all doubted, they all doubted, but there's something to be said about, you know what, I got my doubts, but I'm like, I'm going to show up anyways, and I'm not going to show up and waste my time, no, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do what I can to get into his presence, because I know that in his presence, The attacks of the enemy are thwarted. I know that when I get into his presence, I find peace. I know that when I get into his presence, I find answers. So I show up, I get into his presence, and I say, Lord, here I am. Standing before you, in your midst, and this is what I have. I have questions, I have certainties, and based upon what I'm seeing, I'm inclined to not believe such and such. And it's in those moments where God responds. I will say one thing, though, sometimes he's quiet. Sometimes he's quiet. And those are tough moments. Those are painful moments. But just like we were singing in that song, what happens when we wait is we get a little bit stronger. Because it takes discipline and it takes fortitude to hear silence and continue to show up and continue to enter into his presence and continue to ask. It takes real fortitude. It takes real maturity to say, you know what, I'm going to dig until I find answers. I'm going to continue to push, and I'm going to continue to believe, and I'm going to continue to declare. It takes guts to be the kind of Christian that doesn't allow themselves to get suffocated by doubts. When in doubt, when you're inclined not to believe, show up, get into his presence, and admit what's going on. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I thank you for the stories that are found in your word that reveal your heart to us and teach us and mold us and shape us, Father. God, I thank you for the story in the book of Mark. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for the situation that was playing out as you were walking the earth, Father. And this this man came desperately to you seeking seeking deliverance for his son, and and you came through, Father. We thank you that your hand delivers, Lord. Your hand heals, and your hand delivers, Father. But we come to you this morning, and we recognize the fact that sometimes we have our doubts. We have our doubts, but we are grateful, Lord, that even in the midst of our doubts, you still bring us close. And it's not as though you shoo us away. Sure, you discipline us and you teach us that we are to believe even in the midst of seeing things that perhaps would uh, uh, incline us to believe otherwise. But we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you still draw us close and you still deal with those doubts. And so, Father God, I... I ask you right now, with every eye closed and with every head bowed, whoever in this, in this uh, congregation or, or watching online is experiencing doubts, Father, I pray that you bolster their faith and give them the fortitude to continue to show up, to continue to get into your presence, and to continue to say, you know what, I have these questions, I have these concerns, I have these doubts, but I'm still here and I'm still searching for answers, Father God. I thank you, Lord, because it's when we do that that we actually find breakthrough, Lord. We actually find the breakthrough. And so I pray, Father, for those that are here this morning. And with every eye closed and with every head bowed, can you raise your hand in agreement, either if you're experiencing or you've had those moments of doubt, or maybe you have those doubts right now, you've had those, these questions on your mind, or you're, 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 you're believing for something, you're praying for something, and you haven't yet seen it played out, and you're here and you're thinking, God, where are you? And you have, you're inclined not to believe that God is going to move if that is you. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Thank you for that. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your boldness. God, I speak a spirit of faith over this congregation. I speak a spirit of faith over everybody that is present in here this morning, Lord. I speak a new fire in the bellies of every person that is here this morning. I speak a, a, a fire of faith that is willing to give more stock in what is unseen and what you have said, Lord, than what they are experiencing around them, Lord. I pray, Father God, for a faith, for a willingness, for a fire that is willing to push down, to tip the scales in the other direction, even though there is weight that is pushing us to the contrary. I thank you, Lord, that when we respond in such a fashion, Lord, we see you move, Jesus. I thank you for it, God. And so I say, I speak a new faith, a new fire, a new burning in their midst, in their, in their soul, in their spirit, Father God. That even when doubts, doubts come into their minds, they recognize the fact that it's not you that's placing them there, but it is the enemy. And when we take them to you, that no demon in hell can withstand to be in your presence, Father God. We thank you, you are that powerful, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And with every eye closed and with every head bowed, as we always do, we're going to pray for those that like to either rededicate their lives or accept Jesus into their heart for the first time. And it's incredible, you, you, you know, we make that decision to follow Jesus, or we make that decision to rededicate ourselves to him. And the, the, it's like the second we do that, immediately challenges come our ways. And, and, and reasons to doubt whether or not we should have ever made that decision in the first place, or whether there is any real reason to do it, or, or if there's anything to this thing, that immediately comes. And so to those that are going to rededicate their lives, or those that will uh, uh, step into a new relationship with Jesus, I say, be prepared. Put your guard up and be expectant because the enemy is going, to, is going to attack whenever he sees that you are willing to give your life to, 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 the, to the Lord. But let's pray together as a church family out loud for those that will rededicate their lives or accept Jesus for the first time. Say, Father God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you for dying for our sins. We make you the savior of our lives. This day, we choose to follow you. This day, we choose to put you first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Father God, I thank you for this church body. I thank you for their hearts and their souls, Lord. I thank you for their willingness to continue to show up, God, and to enter into your presence, Jesus. I pray that you continue to grow their faith, I pray that you continue to bolster their relationships. I I pray that you continue to fan that flame within them, even in the midst of doubts, Father. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.